0: Hello and welcome to another episode of AdventuresIn.net. I'm Sean Kleber, your host, and with me today, your co-host, Lu. Howdy, Wai. you doing, Sean? Oh, good, good. And it's our birthday boy. He's back, Caleb Wells. <laughs> How was your birthday? Hey, y'all.
1: It was great. Carly made a very, Carly, my wife, made a very a big deal of it. So we, we, we had a good time. Is it uh, I, I turned 45. A so, milestone. yeah, getting getting up there. Um, <laughs> but it was good. It was good. Sorry, I missed when you. Catch,
0: when you catch up, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, our guest today, Manuel Grudner. Welcome, Hello, Manuel. guys. Hello. Hello, guys. Hey. Hello from
2: Austria. It's it's really late here, so.
0: From Austria, huh? Mm.
2: That's the thing with the trees. Yeah, the exploding trees. Uh, <laughs> Trump said that at, the, at one moment, yeah. uh, and he said, okay, in Austria, they are they can firefight, and now we have exploding trees. Of course, we don't have exploding trees. <laughs> but I
1: and, uh, was thinking more of the, the hills are alive. Yeah, <laughs> and that puts the
2: Iceland uh, people.
0: <laughs> there you go. Uh, go. Is it Arnold from there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the governor, yeah. Yeah, the governor. Yeah,
2: there you go. Ah from my city, from Graz,
3: from my
0: hometown. From oh, very cool. Yeah, cool. Very cool.
3: I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually, I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career you can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com
0: so tell us a little bit about yourself you know what how you got into development what you do what well, that's,
2: yeah. that's yeah that's a long uh, it's a long story i started working as, a, as an electrician about 20 years ago or something like this and um, but i started developing all kind of small stuff Back in the days with PHP and playing around with electronics and all the kind of stuff. and um, Going as an electrician, there was a lot Software is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And then I had the luck that my brother went to school and learned software development. And yeah, and he followed me along and was like my... my Mentor or or a trainer on all the kind of stuff, and I just programmed and enjoyed it. And then I decided, okay, there is so much need for software out there. And then I started working in the software industry. And over time, I stumbled about botnet, and, and I did ever since for almost over ten years now. So I worked for different companies help them right now and i really really enjoy the all the ecosystem and the community and working with them and yeah i i think there isn't a better time to be a net developer than right now because there's so much stuff going on and they are reinventing themselves and working with the with the community
4: is it true that there's there's actually a really vibrant startup scene in in Austria?
2: Yeah, are a lot of companies focusing around 3D vision, for example. there's the robotic eyes, they're working with the unity engine for example. There are other parts that are working with on, on more like AI stuff and, and communication platforms. And there's a lot going on especially in the industry sector, with 3D vision in industrial processes. For example, making photos and of in the production line and doing all kind of logistic stuff with it and quality control. And our last achievement, and I don't know if this is .NET related at all, was one of our in-grads, at least the mass robot that flow, the software was like 30% made from a grads-based Austrian girl. So that's really, really cool for working for nasa so oh, very cool at least what i what i read i i don't uh know in person. <laughs> what, a pity. what What about you then what do you what do you do for the last couple of years i am working as a consultant and as a trainee uh trainer for companies small big from small size to big size and i'm doing all kind of contract work but i'm for the last couple of years, I am a micro, uh, not a Microsoft MVP, a Dev Express MVP, so I'm very, very closely working with all uh, with the guys, and specifically are focused the problems and solutions you can make with with the Dev Express product. But I'm not a DevExpress Express employee, so it's like it's a chicken egg problem somehow.
1: <laughs> all right. So. My understanding is that through your DevExpress and VP, you've started some open source projects or working on some large open source projects. Can you tell us about yeah. those?
2: Yeah. The thing is, I worked in open source, especially when I worked for Ramorex, the open the testing platform. I don't know about from, I think, Haderah uh, about them. There's this open and wild ecosystem of all the open source projects in javascript and i worked really really a lot in javascript and for me as a single developer guy or trainer it's really really hard to convince uh, larger organizations to work with your source code and it's not that they don't want to use it But sometimes they have the problem that management don't want to introduce new dependencies. They don't have the source. If I shut down my company, then even with contracts, they don't want to do this. Then there's always this collaboration problem. Because one customer has the idea for, okay, we can improve this stuff. And the other customer says, okay, there's also this idea, and the, and now I am like in the middle of doing all the kind of mangling and and putting and stuff together. And, and I thought, okay, it's that's the best idea, just put it open source and let's work together on, on that kind of stuff. But now, of course, there's the problem, now it's open source, everybody can use it. So if you take the source code and, and want to compile it on your own, hey, it's it's free. You can do it. But of course, that's only the one side of the metal. There's all the kind of stuff you need to support it. You need if there are new developers on the on the on the train or uh, joining the company, then stuff gets more complicated than just using source code. And I. Started working with a couple of companies, and then I thought, okay, let's start with Xaniel. And Xaniel is like my overall Dev Express components that that are surrounded around the Express Up framework they developed, and yeah, and then the hard part kicks in: how to earn money with open source.
1: It's interesting because right, you're coming at it from from a slightly different perspective. Um, some of our, the guests we've, we've had on, we've had a number of people that, that have done some open source stuff or made some, some packages. For instance, AutoMapper is a big one, right? And he created it because he saw a need himself in developing his projects. And he just like, okay, well, I'll just put it out there for anybody to use. You're coming at it from the angle of, I have this really good tool that you guys would would like to use and would and it would work well for you. But the whole buy-in, if it's like you said, an actual enterprise product or whatever you want to call it. It's so a middle you open sourced
2: it. Yeah. And it's now a middle you gotta figure ground. out how to
1: monetize it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's it's like a middle ground. It's it's, it's the same thing. I, I worked with different clients and um, I had the problem that I have this developed for ten years or so, or uh, or at least I worked in a different style, in in different perspectives, and made them better and better and better and better, and then just copied copied it over from project to project to project, and and getting the common ground, and also maintaining like, okay, there is a now you have ten clients, and now Dev Express releases. A major version every six months or something like this. And then you have the problem, okay. Now I I need to update this component, this component, this component, this component, with all the different client projects, because every client wants to upgrade their solution to the latest version to get the latest bits from DevExpress. And so you have like this dependency tail problem where I am like hopping on top of, of the DevExpress. So it's like, um, then you are just updating components and you don't have time for doing new clients and, and stuff like this. So it's it's a chicken neck problem, working with the latest and greatest and also supporting all, all the customers. And sometimes they have different ideas in which direction they want to go, but going on open source really can help solve a lot of problems for smaller individual devs like me.
4: It sounds like it's more than one person's job. To be honest, describing yeah, um, it it, it is a person and a coder.
2: It it is, it is. But on the other hand, it's like jumping and getting onto your uh, on the feet uh, with such a product is hard if you do it on your own. And so you can at least grab some help from people you're working on day on and day off. If it's, for example, documentation or smaller bug fixes for example yeah yeah but that then the hard part kicks in and that's what it's how to monetize it
4: Hmm. so do you wait for the customer to come to you or are you like kind of cold calling firms and asking them if they want to use your plugin or whatever it's actually what are you so you said you're you're affiliated with DevExpress. I don't actually know too much about DevExpress. Are you saying you you, you make the product or you, you make a com- component within DevExpress?
0: We did but have Mike Miller on the show, and he's you know, he's worked with DevExpress. He does Code Rush. Code rush. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I think CodeRush is like Rishapra. I think almost every.NET developer knows it. Yeah. DevExpress is just a component vendor like Telerik and they produce all kinds of components. And framework and they have javascript and wpf and WinForms and all the kind of stuff and the thing is it is like a sidecar show you don't want to especially in a corporate environment or an enterprise environment you don't want to mix all kind of dependencies in on the on the one hand to reduce developer license costs because that express license isn't cheap and then it needs to mix and match the architecture you're you're working on in a project for at least most of the clients I work with. And but on the other hand, you need often a lot of plumbing and and, and handcrafting. For example, if you want to tie in OAuth providers, for example, for Google or for Microsoft, because they need to write a website or a, an external web service, but they want to keep more or less in their ecosystem. I and mean, there is where this open source project really can help you solve some of the plumbing and all that kind of nitty-gritty details because a lot of enterprise development is more... They don't care so much about how stuff is under the, under the hood from the technical the perspective. Plate yeah, the yeah. boilerplate stuff. Yeah. They just want to do the best thing you can have is like building applications with Legos because you have so many areas you need to work on, like reporting stuff, security, this, there, and all the internal stuff is so much going on. And some, and especially now with COVID and all the digitalization, like, okay, and now we have 10 ex- external people and we want, those external people to work with our software. We normally do the reporting stuff. We don't have any idea how to deal with this. And then the framework can help and the components in the framework can help, especially those companies and guys in the in, in the development departments.
0: So somebody that wants to uh, monetize their open source product that they're working on, yeah. should they go like the freemium route where... Most features are free, and then they charge for some, or they go free product and charge for support. Uh, there's lots of different ways you can go about it.
2: Yes, that's really, really an interesting question. I think I thought about this for more than six months, or almost one year, or so, something like this. Is it depends on what does a consultant say? If you have a product problem, it depends. <laughs> if you have For example, a library like AutoMapper or or that is like implementing a protocol or something like this. I think the best option you have is like getting a really, really, really broad adoption and then monetize it, for example, via GitHub sponsorship or Patreon or something like this because you have millions and millions of users of your library, at least if it's JSON.net or AutoMapper, then I think you can you can monetize it in that way that it pays off all the all the costs, or you can write a book about it. That worked the last ten years because it's more focused about technology and not about the support and working with the people that really implement the stuff on the on the very uh, business side of details. For example, if you if you do a workshop and you implement, for example, some kind of payment gateway that plug-in that automatically ties together a credit card and, and all, the, all the kind of stuff you have to do to sell products online and put this into your website, then I think support onboarding is the better way and putting the stuff open source to iron out all the rough edges and doing the security kind of stuff. I did go another way, and that is like writing my own licensing system because it's really complicated to tie together all the versioning stuff. Because now I have two vendors, me and DevExpress, and I have to I have a, an agreement with them, so I need to line up version numbers and stuff like this. Where is where starts their support, where ends my support, and I can guarantee you don't go this route. If you're a one person, don't go this route. It's way too complicated. It's way too time expensive and troublesome. But and there's the need thing. I think I can learn a lot from that lesson, and maybe you can make a product out of it. So other developers that think they have an open source library, they really want to put out there and monetize it on with that platform.
1: So are you looking to pivot to a different type of, of monetization now that you've you've gone through the process and like you said it's it there's more overhead than you really have time for as one yes. developer. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And the thing is, it should be easy to monetize a little bit out of it because the thing is, for example, see JSON.net. JSON.net is open source. Uh, Did you ever compile JSON.net yourself? Did you ever get through the hassle of compiling the library yourself, keeping it alive and all that kind of stuff? And that's my understanding, or at least from the monetization perspective, of putting stuff online, so it lives online. If somebody wants to steal the source code, he can do. If it really takes the advantage and copies the source code, sure, Why not? If he goes down that road so far, combining all all, all the sudden, okay, then then he can have it. It's like when uh, when, uh, when a cat goes into your backyard and, and steals your own cat, your food. it's not. It's a pretty but. Okay, go for it. But on the other hand, if you have like millions of downloads or hundreds of downloads and you there's a lot of work in there you have to support it. I think 30 percent of my time right now is just answering answering questions on Gitter, on Facebook chat on all, all the kind of platforms and that needs to be monetized in any way. And so why not take two cents or one dollar per download? Although it's a little bit high, but it's just a house number. And, but programming this kind of licensing platform is really, really... Cuba Summit, you don't want to do this. I don't want to do that myself anymore. <laughs> Not again.
1: <laughs> so so how did you build your community? Because it seems like you said you're Gitter and Facebook and um, I guess maybe Discord. And it's really more than one person can manage. How did you to build that out, and have you thought about bringing on other people to support moderators or, or whatnot?
2: Yeah, but the thing is that it grow like uh, it, grow, it grow. It's not grown organically, but on the other hand, it was like okay, I am a DevExpress Express user. Start with all like this. I'm a DevExpress Express user. I ask a question on the forums. So, uh, because compilers were slow back then, and I had a lot of time reading on the dev Express forums, and then I started, because I knew the answer to the question, and then I started answering questions for, so I did basically support work for Def Express, but they didn't ask me, it's just they had a comment, for, uh, comment function, just help the community, and then more and, more and more and more and more and more and more and then uh and then it stopped because i started at ranowitz working on on the testing tools and uh and then people were like complaining about where basically they wanted to contract me in that time frame and they ask me questions and they email and they say, "Okay, I, I would love to join the conference, but I can't. I uh, need to work for Runrex. I, I can't do stuff for Life Express anymore." Like sometimes it is if you if you work for a different company. And then Runrex were bought by Ideo, and then they closed the facility in, in Graz. So I was back from, on my own again, and then stuff magically started to grow. We had some plans when we started the community stand-up because some MVPs were writing with me and then the community grew and now we have like 1,000 people on Facebook group and, and LinkedIn. And, and so the market itself grew, grew on our work helping out people like with Stack Overflow. It's like, hey, you have a question? No problem. So it's 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 building up your, your community about the problem domain or problem domain is the wrong word because it's it's all the DevExpress components and you can do about it. And now it's Razor and all the kind of crazy stuff that's going on because everybody is experimenting and, and, and now there's a much of expertise asked out there. So And there's a lot of lessons you can learn from that and put it back into the open source
1: stuff. Well, go ahead.
2: Uh, the, the hardest part I had in the last couple of weeks, months was like with Identity Server because Identity Server follows the same model, kinda, and now they switched it. There was like full open source and only consulting, and I adopted Identity Server for people that are using XPO. That's the Entity Framework of Dev Express or so the ORM layer because when they're locking or they don't want to use Entity Framework. And now they switched to plus source version. And the, I don't have the name on it, but they opened another company. And they said, okay, identity server is now identity server. And uh, is will be open source, but it's in maintenance mode. And now they made a, a pure commercial product out of it. And then I'm going the other way around. So, But I have no idea what's the better mm. choice of those
4: I think I, I you know over the years I've tried to you know, do a few, I guess startups, if you will, um, with my own either stats product or just some sort of side project and stuff. And I think the biggest surprise is um, for me is just basically realizing how much um, non dev um, skills you got to utilize and how much not how much time you spend not deving. Like a lot yeah. of it is just support. Like if you if you build any sort of product um, for a business, um, the first thing they're going to ask for is, well, if it holds breaks, who am I going to call? You know? And pretty much makes it pretty hard to to, to do that if you've just got a start a side project and a full-time job.
2: Yeah. Um, that's basically every time you start thinking about self-employing and doing yeah. some kind of startup, my eyes will tell It is 11 or almost 12 p.m. or 1 a.m. here. So it is a lot of work, and you need to do a lot of stuff. You you need need to do the taxes. You need to, even if you have like a simple onboarding for one Mm. single uh, documentation PR, um, if your community is arguing about anything, you need to get in there the right and, say, oh, yeah. and okay, that's the way we go. That's the way you, you have to, mm-hmm. to lean the boat into the right direction. But the, the neat thing about open source is you can work with the community and you don't have to do any, not every single piece yourself. You're more the captain on the boat. And realizing that and stepping back from from the keyboard, um, that's the hard part. At least for me, it was. Sometimes I'm like, now I want to program in this kind and I want to try out a crazy idea. Okay, do that. Make the crazy idea. But until it gets back into the open source project, it will take some time because you need to control the quality and all that kind of stuff.
3: Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy experience for your customers? I mean, let's face it, the only way you're going to know that is by actually running it on production so go figure it out right you run it on production but you need something plugged in so that you can find out where those issues are where it's slowing down where it's having bugs you just you need something like that there and Rain Gun is awesome at this they they just added the performance monitoring which is really slick and it works like a Breeze. I I just I love it. I love it. It's like it's like you get the ray gun and you zap the bugs. It's anyway, definitely go check it out. It's gonna save you a ton of time, a ton of money, a ton of sanity. I mean, let, let's face it, grepping through logs is no fun. And having people not able to tell you that it's too slow because they got sidetracked into Twitter is also not fun. So go check out Ray Gun, they are definitely gonna help you out. There are thousands of customer-centric, customer-focused software companies who use Raygun every day to deliver great experiences for their customers. And if you go to Raygun and you use our link, you can get a 14-day free trial. So you can go check that out at adventuresin.net.com/slash-raygun.
0: Yeah, the community really tries to help out as much as they can. You know, yeah. whenever you find a product that you really like and have an interest in, you know, you want it to be better as well, so that more people. You get on it, and it becomes more popular because you know, you found that it was useful to you, and you want other people to know it's useful. And and or if you find something that's wrong, and you get impatient, and it's like I need this bug fixed. Well, if it's open source, you can get in there and contribute and, and help out.
2: For me, for example, it was the patience. It's like I had a guy that really, really, really wanted wanted to help out in in documentation, and he's really a great doc author. And I read through a couple of of his changes and, and, and rephrasing, so it's more readable and understandable for, for everybody in the in the project. And for me, as a long-time Git user and working on all the open source, he never worked with GitHub before, and I was like, oh, so I'm impatient. It takes so much time. I just want to get it in and moving, moving on. But Sometimes you really, really need to have patience with everybody on the project. And on the long run, it turned out really, really well. And he learned something. I learned more about writing docs than ever. That's for me as a non English native. It's mm-hmm. as, I could write it in German, but then um, nobody else would understand. So. <laughs> but writing good docs is, is a valuable skill. And, and you have to listen. Anybody that wants to contribute, and
4: that's patience, patience. Yeah, so it's actually interesting because, um, I think like as a dev, um, you know, I've i've kind of helped out a few open source projects and stuff. Probably the biggest, the hardest part for me it's not really the, the learning the GitHub stuff, um, that's you know, that's that's pretty standard, I guess. Um, but the it's actually just like it's, it's quite daunting looking at a, a new piece of code, I guess. Um, so, if you so, you know, short of time, if you have a there's a bug you could try to fix it and stuff but if the if the code base is big enough you just don't really know where to even start i guess so how do you how do you onboard a a new dev who wants to be a contributor to your project
2: it's a good question i i think it's it's not that different from a normal commercial company if that except um, there's no money
4: now so (laughs)
2: There, there is money if it's if it's if it's, if it's well led. uh I mean oh, right, uh,
4: for the contributor?
2: For yeah. the contributor, yeah. Okay, there are, there's two sides two sides from the metal Because if he's up on the hill and he already contribute contributing, so then you've done the uh, one thing right, making the project appealing to be worth of contributing. it's good getting people engaged and want to help on the project. Onboarding them, for example, for coding guidelines, putting things in the right direction is 80%. Direct communication, try to document as much as possible. Sometimes lowering the surface area. For example, you mentioned the bug fix. Often there is an issue pointed down and then, okay, we need to find out the area where to uh, fix the bug and then helping guide them down that rabbit hole into the source code and say okay yeah that that's that it's influenced by this component and this component that now we can isolate that and then helping them for example writing a test tube to mitigate the fact where, where is the bug and then it evolves naturally
4: are, of, are you finding that when you get a new contributor, you're you're spending a lot of time yeah. helping him? Like,
2: Of course, you need to help him, but it, it doesn't need to be a one-on-one video call yeah. or something like this. It's more like finally, granularly, going down the GitHub issue and through the discussion about the code, putting them in the right direction. And then suddenly a PR pops up and then you can... <sighs> Anger about all the coding standards and everything we like to mm-hmm. discuss about types of spaces and all that kind. But there, but that's the, that's not that different from doing it on a commercial software project. the 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 only thing is you, it's the time difference. Mm-hmm. Because if you're working in a company, you can sit side by side and do you do it in half an hour. Yeah. And and on open source that can last three days but Mm. it's it doesn't matter if if the fix goes out today in open source it's more the quality and Mm. all the contribution side on. because if it's really really time consuming or we need to fix the bug right now then fork it and build your own
1: um so you're talking about right spending one-on-one time with people which limits your time. Do you do anything like a, a stand-up with your devs or community group or, or meet-up on, on yeah. you know, a weekly or monthly basis to get everybody on the same page?
2: Yeah, we have the XAF community stand-up, we call it, So from the Arizona group. I'm a first, as a day one user there, and we meet every second Thursday of the month. And uh, we t- we talk all the ship XF, Def Express, Blazer, all the line of business kind of stuff that we trick around a lot. So hop on, you can. We have a YouTube playlist uh, with all the videos out there. It's like we started last April, so it's a couple of them, almost a year. I think this this month should be a year, and uh, yeah. But the XAF community is like a smaller sub-community in the Dev Express group because it's this line of business application framework. But there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. Where is Blazor heading? What's with Xamarin? Now is Maui, and all the all the kind of stuff. Because the line of business community feels uh, a little bit slower, but they need to focus on long-term goals. So if, for example, this uh, Maui dies uh, with next build conference, then it's a dead horse. But that's just a speculation or not. It's, it's just an example. And so you want to uh, bring along all your from ASP X to place or stuff. So we discuss all that in all that direction.
0: There's actually been a few times yeah. where I've tried to uh, contribute to open source and Got a little bit frustrated because, you know, I saw a need in somebody's product and so I downloaded it, made a change, issued a PR and they look at it and go, no, we don't want to do this. Thanks. It's like, ah, why did I spend all that time, you know, trying to help you out, make your thing better. And then you just reject what I did. I think from now on, it's like, if I'm going to do something like that, I'm going to ask the author, hey, I want to do this. Is this something you create an issue in first <laughs> yeah because I just thought for sure that my idea was really made it a lot better and they just said nah no thanks
2: there's one project I blocked about it was pretzel and that pretzel was like at the time where I was how's the thing called from from GitHub the static site generator I have no idea how how is it called Let bit just quick GitHub pages. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, but the, the tool is like called Pages. It's a, it's a Ruby project. I have no idea how it was called. But that's like with the liquid syntax and all that kind of stuff that was back in the day, seven, seven, six, seven years ago, before static sites were even a thing. And it was Pretzel. And I use Pretzel today for working on my blog and using it. And and then .NET Core came along and it was a, a, a .NET project. And I thought, okay, hoping bringing up Pretzel back to life and um, did a couple of PRs, wrote a couple of issues and really, really worked with the community. And we managed to port it to .NET, to .NET Core. It was really, really a, a journey. And after a while, it, steam got out of, uh, of the project. And that's fine because... I use my own fork of pretzel today, and now I can customize it, whatever whatever I want. But sometimes it is hard to jump on a project or an open source project. But I started the wrong way as well, because I just opened the PR and I said, okay, now is this system command line thing in experimental mode and now I've rewrote the whole architecture of all the command line arguments. And then, uh, no, we don't do that here. And then we work together. So it's, you don't, sometimes an idea is just, looks good to you, to yourself. But in the broader picture, it's, maybe it's not, maybe it's just, okay, it's fun too. Play around with with stuff, but there was like hundreds of people using this using that software. You can't change uh, dashes for slashes on the command line argument because you will break every block out there that is using pretzel. And then it's like slowing down yourself, and it's not harsh, and it helps just making better software for all of us, more stable, more productive.
1: I imagine if you're managing an open source project like Pretzel or like your project or the one that that Sean did the PR for, if you've been doing it for a while and you want to continue for all, you have to maybe think ahead, right? Uh, You brought up Blazor, but three or four years ago, Blazor didn't exist. And for a couple of years, nobody knew if it was going to come out of the experimental phase. How For you, how do you determine when to incorporate something into your open source project or, or extend your open source project to support something?
2: It's an experiment. It's all the, all the time an experiment. Sometimes it is, it's an experimental branch where you try all crazy new ideas, talk about it, and see if it works. And if it doesn't work, throw it away. It, it is source code, but you learned something from it. The hard part is not building the stuff up. Around and upon this technology, the hard part is seeing where the wind is trailing you, where where the industry is going. And that's nothing you can do without trying it out. And on the other hand, trying it on experimental or even real projects, that's nothing different from any commercial software. I think Milks wouldn't be a thing if if didn't try again and again and again, and then Express come out and you know, all the kind of stuff, and JavaScript and, and all that explosion, because it just worked. And we now experiment 50 years with JavaScript. And I think we have, we are now in the reincarnation phase of .NET, going back to IoT devices, steering robots and, and, and all that kind of stuff where .NET was usually tied to the desktop only. So it's experiments and and if it doesn't work, throw it away.
0: How about open source licensing? Do they all allow for commercial (laughs) monetization of it? Or do some say, no, everything's got to be free?
2: That's the open source OSS question. To be honest, there are a lot of companies and guys online or people that don't care about licensing at all. And I think that's a really, really that's a problem for all of our industry it's like i can't go into the grocery store and steal the banana because there is no price tag on it the real open source versus is it really open source open source like linux unix GNU compatible kind of question it's like i think it's better to have the stuff at least open source where sources are available than having closed source at all so you never get access to to the to the sources. Yeah,
0: there's a versus, difference. There's a difference between between open source and public source.
2: Yes, yeah. And that's 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 exactly the thing. It's it's better to have public public source than to live in a really pure open source world where everything is free, because we as software developers need to live from some thing as well. We need to eat, we need to pay our rents and if you aren't on the lucky side of working for a a company that really encourages you to work in open source, like Microsoft, for example, doing all all ASP.NET development in the open and getting a really good paycheck, then I think public source is better than open source. But time will tell, I guess. But at least I am going the... Pops open source
0: route, yeah. I, I, I'm i thinking of like public source to be like your source code is out there, but you're not really necessarily taking pull requests or things like that. You just want you know people to be able to see it and kind of that type of you know provide feedback rather than actually be a com- contributor. But totally fine licensing, with licensing, like like MIT licensing versus all the other, other options. I've never read them, the fine print. So, you know, does it say? I can, you know, do a freemium model and and have part free and part not? Or do they say, no, everything's got to be free once I go to get this license?
2: I don't, yeah, I the, the, the uh, thing is the thing is with, with, with open source, or this is like partial open sourcing or partial public source, partial closed source, or partial open source partial service oriented stuff like they did, for example with off0 that's all open source you can grab the source code do your own identity provider on your own but everything branding is is gone it's, it's the, the, the core model only the core is open and everything else is is closed source. if you're doing like a, that kind of, of application where you can build a service around it, that's the perfect way to share knowledge with all the people outside, but it's for smaller individuals. That's not a way to go because there's so much overhead doing all the kind of stuff. Time will tell if it if it works.
0: <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah, time will tell. Time will tell. You know, we're what about twenty years into into .NET, so mm-hmm. and it's still moving along well. And it's vibrant community. Lots of exciting things, you know, Blazor, you know, malware. Source
2: generators yeah. is the next. Yeah. Source generators is the next really, really, really exciting part because there's just so much space to explore around. And I, and that's that's the neat thing about open source uh, and doing a freemium model is, for example, source, com, uh, source generators you can write completely in the open, but because they are so complicated, nobody can just copy paste them. <laughs> at least at the moment, <laughs> no. But they really, really, really help. And it's like bringing back this like macro programming or macro programming or meta programming. Or it's not C crazy hell meta progr- programming, but it at least gives you the ability to do some really, really crazy, like injecting code into another person project with a new bit package and i think that's the next level and i use that feature a lot with my licensing stuff so
3: it's like a chicken egg problem again (laughs) hey folks if you love this podcast and would like to support the show or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages then you're in luck we're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after christmas 2020 without the ads Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv premium.
0: All right. Well, I think I'm going to move us into picks. That was interesting. Yeah. Lots of good source information about open source there. Thanks a lot. So um, for picks, I think I'll go first, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring it up and say my pick this week is Visual Studio 2022. It's going 64-bit. <laughs> 64-bit, <64 sighs> buddy. Yeah we 'll
2: see
0: I I think there might be an early spring you know, version of it for 2022 so yeah. yeah so they're saying it's going to be out this summer so that's in the blog post that I'll put in in the show notes so uh, this is in April right now and they say that the first public preview of visual studio 2022 will be re- released this summer so public is this summer there's probably insider previews right now but yeah 64-bit they've got a little example of it showing it's loading a, a solution with 1600 projects and around 300 thousand 000 files and doesn't run out of memory so
2: that's a nice thing i would have made it that 10 years ago. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the extension it sounds like a
4: complete code for like them. Then. Sorry? Sounds like it's just a complete code rewrite for them. Raheem. Yeah. From the ground up.
0: And now hopefully all the extension providers will uh, keep up and get their 64-bit version out mm. and at the same time this comes out.
2: But aren't they out of proc anyway?
0: Like ReSharper is not out of process. Okay. So they're Code brushes. Working. They've been working on it for quite some time to get ReSharper out of process, but uh, no. it's not. If you use Rider, their IDE, it is out of process. But,
2: yeah. Yeah. but in CodeRush, it is out of process. Yeah, so,
0: yeah, Mark, Mark Miller, yeah, he. We talked all about that. <laughs> what? My mine doesn't need to do that, so. <laughs> I know
2: that very, very well because I worked on, sadly the project was cancelled. We wrote at Ramorex the web testing tool. So it was like Visual Studio code for writing Selenium tests. And there was all the kind of craziness with like language server protocol and getting everything out of proc. And we really, really had hard times debugging all the kind of all the kind of stuff. But Great to see. Great
0: to see. All right, Caleb, what's your pick? My pick
1: is a TV show on Amazon, and I guess it's it's been out for a little while now. But um, it's actually a cartoon called Invincible, and it's based off of a uh, comic book. But it's definitely not for children. It is. <laughs> it's got some. It's like an adult I mean, swim type thing. <laughs> well, it's great. It's got the the like the Spider-Man look and feel, like of the Spider-Man and Batman uh, cartoons. But but there's definitely some adult themes there, you know, violence and deaths and whatnot. Anyway, it's interesting. I'm only a couple episodes in. All right, I'm always trying something new and seeing if it sticks. And so far, I'm, I'm enjoying this one.
0: Nice. Yeah. What what do you got for us this week, why?
4: So this time, it's another Netflix thing. So I like a documentary about Bill Gates called... Uh, Inside Bill's Brain, um, which I pretty much only watched this week. It's pretty short. It's only like three episodes. But it's a little bit of a commercial, actually, about how great he is and stuff like that. But um, <laughs> I find him really interesting, to be honest. Like, you know, Have you been guys, vaccinated? What's that? <laughs> Have you been,
0: been vaccinated? vaccinated? <laughs> you you, you I you've think got a chip fun. inside you? Yeah, you're yeah, yeah exactly.
4: <laughs> it's 6G, not just 5G. So, um, no, like, not that uh, la- laser shit, 5G.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
4: No, no, I, I find him a really... No, fascinating person. No, he's done a lot. So, yeah, this is a nice documentary. Okay,
2: I have a a small one. I have a YouTube channel from Shavari, and I'm a video player. So I really, really enjoyed his video in the time frame of the pandemic, where I couldn't play as much pool as I like to, and I learned a lot watching his videos. But fortunately, I have bought a pool table couple of months ago so now I can be I try to get some ball control and stuff like this so
0: yeah all right cool so if if our listeners have questions they want to help out with maybe your open source project or anything like that how should they get in touch with you
2: yeah I have my blog blog blog.delegate.a.t so for Austria and follow me on Twitter and GitHub. I think on Twitter, it's biohaz999. And on GitHub, it's biohazard 999 So, or just send me an email. I think you will link them in the show descriptions. So it's m.g.grubner at delegate.at. And if everything... If there's any other questions, maybe they just follow me along in in some kind of Express forum issue. I still answer their questions. So
0: to this day. (laughs) Very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you. If our listeners want to reach out to the show, they would get get in touch with us. We'd love to hear your feedback. They can find me on Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. And Caleb Wells
1: Caleb <laughs> Wells' Coates. Yeah, the dun, da dun was for Sean, not for me. I'm, I'm oh, just, I'm just oh, Caleb Wells,
0: right? Coats. A superhero yeah. too. <laughs> but
2: thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for no, thanks of. for coming.
1: Yeah, uh, thanks. Uh, I'm sure you, you, you'll get a good night's sleep now.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's almost one, one a.m. almost. Oh wow, All right, cool. Thanks, well, thanks, thanks
0: again. All right. Thanks. We'll catch everybody on the next episode of AdventuresIn.net.
3: Bye, y'all. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.